Psalm 24, 1. The earth is the Lord's and all that is in it. This is the word of the Lord. When Jim Wallace, the founder of Sojourners Magazine, was in seminary, he took an old Bible and he cut out every verse that mentioned money, the poor, and justice. In all, he cut out about 2,000 verses in the Hebrew and the New Testament, and that old Bible became a prop for him. He would take it around to churches where he preached. He would preach about stewardship, really, about how we spend our money and about how God would have us spend our money. And he would hold up that old Bible that had been cut to shreds, and he would say, this is the Holy Bible. That's holy spelled H-O-L-E-Y. It's a Bible full of holes. If we don't talk about money, how we spend it, how we make it, and how we idolize it, then our discipleship is full of holes. This is the second week of our three-week emphasis on stewardship, and today we're thinking theologically about money and how to be good stewards of financial resources. Stewardship is about how we can bring more of what we have to offer in all areas of our life as a matter of ministry and practice. Talking about money and stewardship isn't mean, meant to guilt us or shame us. This is about recognizing what we have and encouraging us to bring the best of ourselves to the church together as a community of faith. Now, I know how it sounds. Preachers talking about money always sound self-serving. We hear the stories about megachurch pastors giving their spouses Lamborghini SUVs, purchasing private jets for evangelism and golf trips, and promising God's blessings in return for offerings. It's no secret, though. Woodland is an organization that runs on our shared generosity. Our shared gifts keep the lights on, AC running, worship going, and missions giving. There's not a larger denominational entity that provides for the church. In fact, it's the other way around. We provide support to our larger Baptist movement like CBF and many other missions causes. We do this because we believe in grace. We believe this is an abundant world, and we believe we make the world better when we give. And we make ourselves better disciples when we practice the kind of generosity that we ourselves have known in Christ. But there's another message sometimes taught in churches. The idea that if you give, you will get. The prosperity gospel says if you want to get rich then give. If you give to the church, then you will get blessings. And most of the time, the preacher gives you a wink to say, the more you give, the more likely you are to receive. I heard a preacher on TV one time tell a story about praying on the way to the airport for a blessing from God, only to get there and be bumped up to first class. Now that type of thinking about financial resources says, you give to get, you pray to get paid. The more faith you put into giving, the more you will get out of it in blessings from God who will take care of your material desires. The prosperity gospel preached in much of Christendom differs only slightly from the indulgences sold by the medieval church that brought about the Reformation. 
when Martin Luther protested the church of the 1500s by posting his 95 theses on the door of the church in Wittenberg, his main complaint was the selling of indulgences. Essentially, the the church was teaching this. They had traveling evangelists who went village to village preaching and they would sell indulgences where people would give money and the money given was a sign of faith and that faith had a tangible effect. The faith that you showed by giving the money to the church helped your loved one in whose memory you gave your offering get out of purgatory and into heaven quicker. One of these traveling indulgence evangelists used to say, As soon as the coin in the coffer rings, a soul from purgatory springs. That's not much different from what you hear sometimes today with the prosperity gospel. The basic idea is that your financial gifts will bless you with some kind of physical or spiritual reward you give to get. We may not have a Martin Luther out there today calling out the unfaithfulness of the prosperity gospel, but what we do have is a generation of people walking away from the church because of this hypocrisy. What sounds like faithful, what sounds faithful in the walls of the church sounds like the worship of the dollar outside. What sounds faithful on Christian TV because the preaching is dressed in Christian cliche hits the ears of millennials and Gen Z as the worship of power. Now, let's contrast that message with what we hear from Scripture. The earth is the Lord's and all that is in it. The psalmist casts a vision of us as stewards and partners with God in keeping and caring for what God has made. In Luke, Jesus says to get purses that won't wear out. Invest in what lasts. Put up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Create a legacy that's about more than boosting your own ego. And in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew, he says, you can't serve two masters. You can either serve God or money. First Timothy is almost a restatement of this. The love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Malachi, the prophet, sounds like a little like a prosperity gospel preacher. He says, bring your tithe and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. Well, sure, but the point is communal here. This is about the blessings of God that come when we share resources. When generosity shapes communities and not hoarding of resources, we see that there isn't enough room to store what is given. The problem with our exegesis of scriptures about money is this. It's often too much about me and mine. The Bible talks about money as a justice issue. And justice issues are always social justice issues. And social justice issues are always about righteousness. Because in Hebrew, there's basically no difference between the words for justice and righteousness. They're the same thing. Social righteousness means doing right by the community. And the community is more than me. Righteousness is participation in setting the world to rights, which is the definition of justice. The Bible talks about our financial stewardship in terms of generosity toward the community and making sure that we do not idolize money because you can't serve God and money. Because the love of money, i.e. putting money in the place of God as the ultimate reality, leads to all kinds of evil. When generosity shapes community, justice is not far behind. The love of money is closely related to the love of self because really 
that's the whole point, isn't it? If we can have enough money, we don't have to rely on anybody. If we can hold on to enough, then we don't have to trust anyone else. We can have all faith in ourselves. We can be secure, build bigger barns to keep our stuff safe and keep ourselves fed, even if by chance a lean year or lean decade should come. On vacation this past summer at night, we watched a lot of HGTV, mostly the show Love It or List It. Do you know that one? It's the show where they take a couple. One really wants to sell their house and move somewhere else, and the other wants to renovate their current house and stay. And so Hillary, the interior designer, is pitted against David, the real estate agent, to win the couple to their side. Hillary wants the couple to renovate and love the house they're in. David wants to show them the perfect house and get them to move. Everybody's looking for two things in a home in these shows an open floor plan, and larger closets. It's interesting how important closets are to this show. Every new house has gigantic closets, as opposed to the older houses in historic neighborhoods where the closets are tiny. Is it because the people are bigger now than they were in the 1950s? Maybe. But the real reason is that we just have way more stuff. Closets and storage our big business. The United States has 1.9 billion square feet of self-storage units. On average, we pay $89 a month, and the industry rakes in $40 billion a year to store mostly stuff we don't want but can't give up. All this so that we can make sure we have what we need when we need it because we can't rely on anyone else. Because what if? The underlying assumption here is that we have to build up these resources because generosity is scarce. But what if generosity weren't scarce? What if generosity is actually the key to contentment and a means of truly coming alive? Practicing generosity is the means of becoming human. My friend Jason Coker says there are 54 specific words for generosity used in the New Testament. Most of them are variations of the word give. The definition of generosity stemming from, uh, from how it's used in the New Testament is something like this. The transfer of some object of benef- or benefit from one person to another with the initiative resting with the person who gives without recurring an obligation on the part of the receiver to reciprocate. Did you catch that? It's something like this. The transfer of some object or benefit from one person to another within, with the initiative resting with the person who gives and without incurring an obligation on the part of the receiver to reciprocate. So the focus is on the initiative and activity of the one giving. Giving without concern for reward. Giving because of who we are, not what we get. It's giving without thought of getting something back. In other words sounds a lot like grace. And by practicing this graceful generosity, we take on the attributes of God. Or we might say, by practicing generosity, we bear the image of God. We imitate Christ by giving. Through giving, we come to understand we have something to give. And we believe that if we give, maybe others will give too. So we're not only creating generosity within ourselves, We're forming a world of generosity, co-creating 
an abundant world with God. According to Richard Stearns, the president of World Vision, back in 2014, Americans gave almost $115 billion to religious causes. But if all those who claim to be Christian actually tithed, churches and ministries would have roughly $500 billion more to do the work of the kingdom. Stern says, we could change the world overnight if only we practiced what God asks of us. $65 billion per year would be enough to end extreme global poverty. The American church could do that all by itself. That would provide clean water to the whole world, end extreme hunger, defeat malaria, give the world's children a basic education, and provide 250 million jobs. And the churches would have $435 billion left over every year. Generosity could make a whole new world. Theologically speaking, that's how Scripture tells us this world was created. In the beginning, God gave light and life and friendship. Not to get something out of us, but for us. God created all this out of grace, and grace is just another word for generosity. Grace is where we come from. Generosity is our genesis. Instead of cutting out these words from the Bible, words like grace and generosity help us understand the rest of the words of Scripture. It helps us understand ourselves and the world around us. So when the serpent comes whispering in our ears asking, is this really enough? We can be ready to respond generously.